Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Sam Phelan. He's our basketball writer. We will talk about Vandy's two-game winning streak in hoops. Our mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Now we'll get to our interview with Sam. Sam Phelan joins us. He is our basketball writer at VandySports.com. He was in attendance for both of Vanderbilt's wins since we last spoke. Sam, it, it seems like they've kind of flipped the page a little bit the last couple of games, and there's some optimism that we haven't felt in, in a while uh, for some reasons that seem to look legitimate. Yeah, Chris, it's uh... – I mean, it's nice to be talking, uh, you and me on the podcast again with legitimate optimism, like you said, um, the last few games haven't always been pretty, you know, there's been some rough stretches through it, but it it was two really, really big, really strong wins that, um, I do think sets up a path going forward where all of a sudden this team has become a lot more interesting to watch, uh, just because of the position they put themselves in, in the SEC. Let's go back a couple of games. Vanderbilt really just manhandled LSU pretty early. LSU made a run late, and Vanderbilt hung on. What did you see there that really clicked for Vandy? I mean, the LSU game was a little bit of an anomaly to me because I wrote about it in my latest three-two-one breakdown. I thought it might come against Tennessee, and who knows, it still might. But it felt like the game that everything just sort of clicked for the first time. Um, And I I think, you know, it was contagious for one, having Memorial as packed as it has been all season, uh, just the Jersey ceremony, everything going on. And then, um, I mean, they were just knocking down their shots. They were, they were moving the ball really well. I liked Rodney Chapman and Scotty Pippen Jr. Working off of each other and how they spaced the floor. Pippen did an exceptional job of, you know, cutting through the paint and kicking it out. And Miles Studi, Rodney Chapman, Jordan Wright, other guys were just hitting the big shots and the momentum kept pouring. And uh, that's what we certainly know the team is capable of with how well they can shoot the ball if everything hits at the same time. And it finally went right against LSU. I'm going to guess, I'd have to think about it. This is probably Pippen's best four-game run of the season. Would you say that? You know, it's, I think you could make that argument, and it's it's been a little interesting, too, because I personally haven't felt like he's been as dynamic of a scorer in the over the last four games um, as he has been in the past. But I think you look at the way he's distributed the basketball and the way he's really just contributed to team wins, you would have to make that argument. You know, 33 against Kentucky where he took over, that's the one loss but he had nine assists against Georgia, nine assists against LSU, and then just an overall strong and efficient effort against Missouri. So um, in terms of his ability to 
fit into the offense well and play his role and contributions towards a win, I do think I would agree with that. Yeah, it's definitely his been his strongest stretch thus far. Chapman's scoring explosion against LSU was not one I saw coming. How about you? You know, I'd like to say I did see it coming as the big Rodney Chapman fan that I am. But You were I mean, the resident Rodney Chapman truther, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Rodney Chapman truther. I'll go to war for him. Um, but, I mean, even Jerry Stackhouse, who has been kind of in that same camp of tooting Rodney's horn a little bit, has said, he said after the game, uh, you know, I wish I could have, I wish I could say I expected Ronnie to be able to go for 24 um, and, and put up the kind of scoring numbers that he did. But yeah, that was a little bit uncharacteristic, but I do think there was a little bit of him being due uh, when that came around sort of, you know, he had done all of the little things right and, and played his role uh, to a T to really help Vanderbilt win. And it was only a matter of time before some of those looks and opportunities found their way into his hands. And he showed why that veteran leadership and that poise was so important against such a good LSU team because he knocked down the big shots when they mattered the most. You know, I thought a couple of months ago LSU would be a nightmare matchup for them, and yet I had a sneaky feeling they were going to win that one, which they did. LSU's so long and fast and athletic, and, and Vanderbilt just isn't for the most part. What was it that they were able to do to to – tilt that matchup in their favor. I know some of it had to do with they got players back and LSU was out some guys, which, by the way, I don't mean that to detract from the win because God knows how many times the shoe has been on the other foot the last few years. And um, it was bound to turn their way at some point in their favor, and it did. So, But still, I mean, even with what LSU had – you had Eason, you had Days, you, have, you got a lot of guys who were long and quick, Efton Reed. Uh, it, it was a little astonishing to see them win that with, or, you know, really take off with that game the way that they did. Yeah, I, Chris, I think they did a really good job. I think the LSU game was the first time all season you could watch Vanderbilt play basketball and won really compliment their passing and their ball movement on offense specifically. It, it was really a treat to watch in person um, and a treat to kind of see the energy that was being provided from Vanderbilt's offense. But whenever you have a matchup like that, you know, LSU a little bit bigger, a little bit more athletic, you just kind of are afraid of those one-on-one matchups. You have to be able to, to spread the floor and you have to be able to get a defense moving and, and, Vandy did that really well. Their passing sometimes got them in trouble with some cross-court passes, but it also set up a lot of easy baskets for them and a lot of good motion. And uh, we've seen that before, but I think for the first time, like I said, what changed is they were making those opportunities. They were making those open shots. You know, that Jerry Stackhouse has said after a few games, I thought we had the opportunities and we got good looks. We just didn't make good looks, but for the first time Vanderbilt was cashing in on the open looks and for a LSU team, they just got worn down by all the passing, all the movement, um, and Vandy really made them pay. Well, those things didn't go Vanderbilt's way as much against Missouri. I'm looking at it. It was, what, nine assists to 15 turnovers. That's a lot less than ideal. Um, free throw shooting was not great. But, but what did they do right in that one? So those were two very different games. Um, and I, I think one of the reasons why 
fans can be so optimistic and actually take a lot of pride in the way Vanderbilt's played is because they won two games that they played completely different styles of play in. You know, LSU being the fast, athletic, electric team that they are, it was this fast-paced, crazy game where Vandy had to keep up with them and make shots and, and really pull away through through those all the craziness that was kind of going on. I wrote uh, after the game last night that Missouri was kind of just a slow burn. It, it was Missouri came in and they were trying to muddy the waters and just make it a dirty, sloppy, slow paced basketball game. And I thought Bandy did a really good job of keeping that pace of play slow uh, and, and winning one-on-one matchups because we've seen how they've struggled with turning the basketball over or, or just getting sloppy or lazy when, when they get sped up. And uh, I think they did a nice job of staying calm and poised throughout a majority of that game and really just winning the one-on-one matchups, forcing contact and fouls. Chris, the, the craziest stat to me on the Missouri game is that Missouri took 61 shots. Vanderbilt took 45. They took 16 less shots and won the game by eight points because they were called for 13 less personal fouls. They did an awesome job of just seeking out that contact and taking advantage of being in the bonus and getting to the free throw line. Uh, Balance, I think, was the story last night. You got, what, five guys in double figures, nobody more than 19. You had a couple of double-doubles. It really was one to me that that stood out as you you got – as many really good contributions out of individual guys, maybe she had had all year. Yeah. And I, I think that really goes into the performance of Pippen. Like you said, it, it's really no, it, there's a correlation there between, between the performances of some of the other individuals on the floor and Scotty's success and Scotty's comfort level. Um, it's, it really makes sense to me, you know, that when Rodney had a big game, Scotty had his highest assist total of the year. And when, you know, you've got Quentin and Jordan and Miles all hitting their shots and, and they're putting up double figures, Scotty is having one of his more efficient games and one of his more balanced games of the year. And he's having a stronger defensive effort. So I think that all goes together. You know, that's something that we've we've been kind of harping on all season is needing other guys to step up. And I think Rodney coming back and having the kind of impact he has on the offense has really freed up and gained a lot of confidence in some of these starters too. Jordan Wright talked after the game about just being more confident uh, as a team and as a unit and operating with confidence in each other. And I think that you're starting to see that building um, as these games are unfolding. How did you see Liam Robbins impacting the Missouri game? What did you make of his conditioning? Because I saw a guy, and and I didn't see all the Kentucky game, but I saw him lumbering down the floor at times. And and I'm not being critical of Liam. He's a big guy. He's got a lot of of skin and bones and muscle to carry around. And he's also had a foot injury, which I know has impacted his ability to run and do the things to get in condition. So, again, none of that a shot at him. It just is what it is. Looked to me like he moved better against Missouri and certainly was was more effective on the stat sheet. Yeah, I, I think he was moving a lot better, like you said. You know, he's far from back to his normal uh, his normal play. He hasn't knocked all the rust off. Uh, but I did think he moved well. He did struggle with body control at times, kind of 
getting passes or when there was a loose ball down in the paint, just knowing where he was and being able to control his body to get in good position and get a good look up. That was a struggle with him, but uh, I thought he moved really well, particularly on the defensive end of the floor, you know, four blocks for him in 11 minutes. And a lot of that coming in one-on-one scenarios matched up in man defense with, with guys and being able to move with them uh, down the lane and then still getting his hands on the ball and getting involved uh, with shot blocking and rim protection. So I, I think that you'll continue to see him evolve uh, as he gets his legs under him a little bit, like you said. A- any sort of foot, ankle, lower body injury, that, that always affects your ability to move. So as he uh, gets a little bit more comfortable, I think that will help him a little bit and make his game more dynamic. A week to take anything going forward out of Jermaine Man not playing last night. Might have been in street clothes even, I think. And... Taryn Frank getting a few minutes. Do you think there's any implications, or was that just a let's get this guy's attention and it goes back to normal situation? Oh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's a go back to normal situation. I think it's um, – I do think it's an attention getter, though. One thing to keep in mind, too, Chris, is Jermaine Mann was a guard in high school. You know, he – And the way that his role has kind of developed in this Vanderbilt team, they've kind of needed him to play like a big, like a power forward that's, that's matching up with some of these bigger guys. And uh, I'm just not sure that's something that Jermaine's necessarily comfortable with at the moment. Uh, And one thing that certainly stack has harped on all season and really hammered home with these guys is that you have to earn your minutes and you have to come to practice and come ready to play. Early in the season, it was the backcourt, and it was Gabe Dorsey and Shane Dizoni and Tyra Lawrence, and who is going to earn those bench minutes for, for the guards and uh, performance in games and practice really determining that. And I think that that's still a, a message that he's wanting to deliver. Um, and so, you know, I, I haven't been in the practices. I haven't seen how, how those have gone, but if he feels like – Karen Frank is the guy that's that's playing the hardest and earning his minutes and gives them the best chance to win. That's who they're going to go with because he knows how important these games are. Well, two things. Um, I've stood next to him. I think you have as well. Six six to me looks generous. I would agree. Yeah, it, that's a program height six six. <laughs> I like the way you said that. Uh, the other thing, you look at his minutes. He has gone. Starting with Tennessee, he played 28, which was a season high. Then it goes 20 against Florida, 15 against South Carolina, 12 against Georgia, 16 Kentucky, 10 LSU, uh, and, and then none last night. That's not a a trend that is seems to bode well for him. That said, um, I think the Robbins return has something to do with that because now that bop that you know basically. Robbins is in a roundabout way getting the minutes that he was getting, I think. Yeah, especially with how well Quentin played. You know, Jerry said after the uh, after the Missouri game, just even with Liam back and Liam getting more comfortable, Quentin Malora Brown has earned those minutes. He has made a case where it's really hard to consider taking him off the floor. And when you look at uh, wanting to have – scoring options like Miles and Jordan out there at the forward and needing uh, Quentin and Liam to both rotate in at the five. That's uh, yeah, that's a big chunk of Jermaine's minutes. And so him and Karen Frank are currently 
I would say in a position battle for the, for what few bench minutes there are left uh, for that kind of stretch four five position to, to be out there. Yeah, and that's where I was going to go next because, you know, Studi, Quentin, Pippen, Chapman, Wright, Robbins are six guys who, given everybody being healthy, are guaranteed time. The question for me is, who are those seventh and eighth guys? I think Trey Thomas is probably in there. Shane Dezoni actually got more minutes than the others last night. I don't know if, if that's a matchup thing, if that's a – you know, this is where this is trending. Dazoni to me is the guy that if he steps up needs to be in that next tier. But I'm just curious if you get a feel of where this is headed with Tyron Lawrence, you know, with Dazoni, Thomas, Frank, all those other guys. Well, I agree with you. I think uh, Trey Thomas is that next guy up, um, just kind of being the most seasoned of that bunch. And I think uh, Stack really likes the microwave scoring that can come with Trey Thomas. We've seen him obviously not have success a lot of times, uh, but we also know he's certainly capable of, of really stepping up and, and hitting a few big shots with Pippen off the floor to help the offense. So I do think that his role is pretty secure at this point in time. Um, and then yeah, Tyron Lawrence and Shane Dezoni is probably more of a matchup thing. Uh, just kind of defensively those two kind of match up a lot better with basically any guard than Trey Thomas would. So uh, their time is pretty contingent on what, what's needed. You know, if you need a good defensive effort, you know, that uh, you can turn to Tyron Lawrence and Shane Dezoni and, and rely on them for that. They both have the size Lawrence specifically at six, four, and then Dezoni at six, five with better size and more athleticism too. I think, I've really been impressed with Shane Dezoni's athleticism, his ability to to defend one-on-one, um, especially against the pick-and-roll. And if I were leaning a seven, eight-man rotation, um, I'd probably say it's, you know, Pippen, Chapman, Studi Wright, Malora Brown, and Robbins, and then probably Trey Thomas and Dezoni going forward seem like the most likely uh, guard candidates to get minutes. Yeah, I, I think Dezoni is the one – and I think I just said this, has got the most upside. He's athletic. I don't know that it – you know, sometimes it just takes a while to get the feel of playing. But if he's logging more minutes a little bit more lately, um, which, I mean, there's been so few of them, I don't want to draw sweeping conclusions. But maybe that's the sign. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see it play out too. I think that the rotation might tighten a little bit, you know, as you get down into, into March. Um, but – I do think that seeing Shane Dezoni with an increase in minutes would would be a safe kind of bet at this point. Okay, you picked them last week to beat Tennessee on the road. That one's coming up on Saturday. You standing by that? This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. 
So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to. I, I One, I think they're extremely motivated going into this game, especially after the way you know the last Tennessee matchup played out. But then also just knowing that this is number three, this is their third in a row, this is kind of... Uh, what they've been working for for a last little bit. And I really like how they match up, Chris. You know, it was in my uh, in my prediction, but I think if you were to look at a team for Vanderbilt to upset, the, I just like the way that they stack up against, uh, against Tennessee, a team that doesn't have a lot of interior size, that doesn't rebound well, doesn't have a lot of post presence. And against those teams, you know, I, I think Vandy does a really good job of working the ball down low especially if Liam is back on the floor and playing maybe 15 minutes. Um, I, I just, I really like the matchup, so I'm going to stick to it. Okay, after Tennessee, there's a road trip to Auburn. Uh, that one's not happening. But you got A&M at home, Alabama at home, Mississippi State away. That one will be tough because they play well in their building, not so well on the road. Florida here and Ole Miss on the road. Who are you feeling good about them having a chance to beat? Who is maybe a team you're you're a little more concerned about how they match up with? Well, so Chris, this is what we talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast, just talking about any sort of path to success come March. Uh, but it's these last five games of the season: A and M, Alabama, Mississippi State, Florida, Ole Miss, and. That stretch, I think if you can get, especially if you can get four or five, you're going to be feeling really, really good about yourself. Um, I'm not sure how realistic that is. I like them to beat Ole Miss. Um, I just think they're a better team than Ole Miss. And I actually think that they can, uh, I think they can beat Texas A&M at home. But I think uh, on the road to Mississippi State, and then uh, Florida's going to give them a nightmare, especially, um, I mean, we just saw how that played out last time that, Florida has so many bodies that can get on the glass and can dominate at the rim that I, I, I don't love that matchup for them. But I do like them to beat Ole Miss. Uh, I do like them to beat A&M. Um, and I think that Alabama game could end up being a big, uh, a big swing in terms of the season. Yeah, Alabama has been so up and down, hasn't played nearly as well on the road as it has at home. I mean, I would, I would think their best five shots at wins – uh, well, I'll give them to you in order. A&M here, I think, is their best shot at a win. Next, I would go... Hmm. Florida here. Then I'd go Ole Miss on the road. Alabama at home. Tennessee on the road. And then, of course, Auburn there. That That's not going to happen in their building. But to me, that's how I handicap it. I, uh, that, that seems interesting to me that, that Florida one, I'm, I'm pretty pessimistic about that one just because of the way that we saw the success of Daruji, uh, 
Yeah, that, you, you make you make a good point there. Yeah, and, I I'd to, totally to, forgotten that. Yeah. Well, and you have to keep in mind that was without Colin Castleton the first time they played. And, yeah. And, and Florida, Florida really stifled them. So kind of going forward with Castleton and Daruji and um, just kind of all the bodies that they can put, you know, Appleby's an incredible scorer and, and worked really well off the pick and roll, which is a weakness for the defense. So um, that one is just, uh, I don't feel good about that one, but uh, I do agree with what you said. I, I like the A&M and I like the Ole Miss, but Alabama has been so unpredictable and, and that game could be, could be a big swing. I'm laughing at myself. I think that performance in Gainesville was so bad, I just wiped it from memory. Yeah, yeah, just kind of uh, fair oh, enough. You know, you kind of want to. That was hard to watch. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was. <laughs> I, I remember that. Now, that, that was one that uh, I'll just I'll put it this way it was a real challenge to keep an attention span and watch that one. Oh, it's. It's going to the getting your teeth yanked out, trying to watch them play offense in that game. It's just, and then defensively, you know, they were giving up two, three shots every look. It was so many second chance points. It was just yeah, ugly basketball. You like to, but you know, Chris, you know, we we move on. We we forget about it. We've won two in a row, and we're looking a little bit better. So I'm going to try and put Florida out of sight, out of mind, just like you did. Yeah. Um, gosh, I'm I'm looking at the standings. And it's really Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee. Those are going to be your top four, barring something crazy. And then it it is just – it is a pack of four- and five-win teams, and Vandy's right in the middle of that. Yeah, I mean, that's the uh, that's the biggest thing. That That's what Jerry Stackhouse was kind of preaching to his guys in the locker room. He had, he had been telling them for, you know, a couple, a couple games now, you know, if we win three games in a row, we can turn this thing around real fast. And I, and I think that you start to see that really play out with Vandy now with uh, right in that kind of middle cluster of teams at, at five and six in the SEC. You know, they're, they're another win away from kind of taking that, that step up and being, being a real legitimate contender. So um, the beauty of this is that they got, they got down, but they, they had an opportunity here against Tennessee to win that third in a row, get back to 500 in, in conference, um, and add another ranked win to their resume, which I think would uh, go a long way in a few weeks. I'm trying to find the SEC tournament bracket because I'm, I'm trying to remember, like, and we had this discussion a couple of weeks ago. Um. Like where you want to be in the bracket. Here we go. Um, obviously, you don't want to be 11, 12, 13, 14 <laughs> because you, you play that extra game. You've got to play five to win. Um, you really don't want to be eight, nine because that gets you one, which is going to be Auburn probably. You don't want to be 10, seven because that gets you number two, which I think is going to be Kentucky. Yeah, uh, I mean, getting that, getting that five or six. Is, yeah, uh, that that's going to be tough, though. It's going to be it's going to be tough, but it, yeah, it's a huge step. I mean, it, it the difference between playing one of those, you know, bottom of conference teams uh, in in that second round with the chance to play a team that you're pretty evenly matched with in the quarterfinals. Um, that that's huge, and, and 
you know, realistically, if you're looking ahead and even if you're being a little bit optimistic about the rest of Vanderbilt season, you might be looking at a situation where they need two SEC tournament wins um, in order to uh, to really secure a, to secure a spot. And if that's the case, uh, that seeding could make all the difference. Yeah, I, the, the more I look at it, I, I think what you want to be almost is the 11. Um, because then you get the six and then you get the three if you keep winning. And, and look, they're, they're not going to win the SEC tournament. But if you're looking to pile up wins, although if, you, if you've gotten the 11, then you haven't really done what you want to do during the season. So I think however you slice it, um, the tournament's going to be a brutal draw for them probably. Yeah, Chris, uh, you know, rooting for the 11 seed is not something I would encourage necessarily. Would no, because if talk, you're, yeah. We just talked about this. We're trying to yeah. set a different standard. <laughs> right. Well, look, if, if it's it's all about racking up, if, if it's about racking up wins in that event, then then you do. But you're right. It's like, it's it's six of one and a half of another. Because if you're the 11 in this league, let me, let me see. I'm trying to figure out what it's going to take to get that by. Um, I've got multiple screens working here. So right now Georgia is going to be Georgia's going to be in there. Georgia's 1 and 9. Um I think good chance Missouri's going to be in there. Um Ole Miss is 3 and 7. South Carolina A&M 4 and 7, you know, Vandy's sitting there 5 and 6 when a half game ahead of Alabama, which it's it's wild to look at that visually. Um, I, I think to, to me, I think now they're going to avoid the play. You know, the the, uh, the extra game, which really was that was kind of my goal for them going to the season. Just start your start your run on Thursday night instead of Wednesday, which has been a while since they did that. Uh, I I think right now, after what they did this week. I like their chances to avoid that Wednesday game uh, more so than not at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, and Chris, it, it really is such a volatile situation when you look at the at the standings. Just you know, being we're one game ahead of A uh, and M, who would right now be playing in that extra game on Wednesday night, but then you're also a half game. Uh, ahead of or a half game behind Florida, who right now has that that uh, that number six spot, and we'd be getting a decent draw in the second round, even um, should they should they win uh, that first game on Thursday or in the third round rather, if they were to win on Thursday night. So there's a lot of room to move up and a lot of room to move down, um, and that that's what makes the, that game against Tennessee specifically so so important and, and so much at stake because. It's a winnable game, but a tough game that you're probably not supposed to win, especially on the road. Um, but if you can steal that one, you really, really like where they're at in terms of avoiding playing on Wednesday in the SEC tournament. Yeah, the the if the season ended now is is kind of a stupid um, exercise. But if the season ended now, they're the seven. They're playing South Carolina in the ten, and they have a. Uh, date with Kentucky should they win <laughs> yeah which uh y- you know as much as you don't want to run into Auburn I'd almost rather get them than Kentucky right now 
I'd probably agree with that. As even even coming off of playing Kentucky really well uh, and playing a really competitive game with them last week. Yeah, that that team is that team is getting better every time out. So, any parting thoughts, Sam? I'm just hoping that my prediction is right. Hoping that we can uh, we can have a fun weekend in Knoxville and uh, and and pull away a big big victory. Um, it really it means so much to these guys. Jordan Wright told me after the game, like, look, I've never beat Tennessee, I, I, and I want it more than anybody else that's going to be on that floor. Um, so really just for this team and, and for these players, you, this one means a lot to them. So I'm going to be rooting hard and hoping that they can, uh, they can find another, another little spurt of magic on the road. Hey, Sam, tell, how, tell people how to follow you on social media. Well, go check out my Twitter. Uh, it's Sam underscore Phelan, uh, P-H-A-L-E-N on the last name, uh, tweeting out some quotes and some game updates during the games, uh, and then all my recaps as well and articles will be on Twitter, so check me out on there. Hey, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.